The following is an exclusive presentation of News Radio KMAN, your home for K State Athletics. It's game time. This is the game on News Radio KMAN. Well, I, I think with today's evidence, it's official. Um, Kanye West's brain has now evaporated. That's right. It no longer exists. After he, he what was, he said. Yeah, he, he was supposed to be this rap genius writing lyrics. And, you know, maybe some of his past stuff is true. It's not like I listened to all of his new stuff. Very little. Very little have I. And Travion can speak on that. But with his latest statements, I'm like, holy crap. You got to be completely crazy alone to give him a microphone uh-huh did you hear what he said today i did i did it's been all over all over twitter all over facebook it's it's i pretty disgusting absolutely blown away he said he's picking tc to be k-state in the big 12 championship <laughs> I, I, oh my god i oh this I, I lost it how all they're all <laughs> people just bring him on for the views anymore and then he goes off and he spouts that kind of junk Come on. Get him out of there, dude. Uh, okay, so <laughs> that's a joke. What he really said, though, uh, is awful. not worth repeating. It is absolutely terrible. It's all over Twitter. If you haven't seen it by now, you will. I'm sure it'll find you at some point. Welcome to the game. Mitch Fortner with David G. Travion Berklin is with us. Troy Coverdale is in Hayes, America. He'll have coverage of Manhattan High School basketball. The season tips off tonight in the first round of the Hayes City Shootout. Both the girls and boys taking on Olathe West, and uh, coverage begins at 6.15 right here on K-Man. So we got you with the full two hours. Depending on win or lose for Manhattan, we'll determine if we have a show tomorrow. Ah. So what the plan is right now, we're still trying to work out some kinks, and I can't promise anything, but we're going to try very hard to do a live show tomorrow on the road from Dallas. Um. Again, still trying to work some things out. If it doesn't work out, we'll just have to go to a best of. Um, but we we have jammed up the show with a lot of a lot of a lot of interviews. A lot of interviews. If you're here for the interviews, you're going to get them. Because <laughs> in this hour alone, you're going to hear from the voice of the Chiefs, Mitch Holtis. TCU pre, uh, preview with John Denton. He's a color analyst for the Horn Frogs Radio Network. The state champs will be in the building at five ten. Joe Schartz, and uh, the head coach of the Manhattan High Indians. The perfect team, 13-0. and 0. Also bringing in a couple of players. They'll be joining us in studio in 510 to talk about that run to the championship, which was this past Saturday, beating Gardner-Edgerton in double overtime. I want to ask Coach his thoughts on Gardner going for that two-point conversion in the second overtime. Mm-hmm. The state championship was decided on that play. And even Curry Sexton is coming on, not at his usual time, just a few minutes after oh, at about oh, yeah. 5.30. I want to ask Coach if he heard your call and go, what grade do you give Mitch's call? I was asked by Coach Grader to uh, hand over some highlights. Mm. Apparently they're gonna they're in a, a parade. And it's not like it's – I can't remember yeah, what parade tomorrow. it is. There's is it a, tomorrow? Yeah, there's a parade tomorrow. Is it like a Christmas parade or something like that? I think it's the mayor's lighting of the tree parade. Okay, but what I was told is they're going to put the call highlights oh. uh, to some Christmas music. Oh, so. my God. Could you get any more famous in this state? Like, what is – dude, what is your story, man? I just show up, I just, I just show up to work, man. I know. You just – hey, I'm just a guy doing my job. Yeah, right. I clock in and put on my headset 
over both ears at the same time, just like everybody else. <laughs> just like everybody else. Dude, well, that's just grand. You're a famous person now, dude. All the parade people are going to be like, oh, that's Mitch. Well, I'm not Derek Young famous. One day. One. Ten years from now. Yeah, yeah. When Twitter's no longer a thing and we're not going by followers. Yeah, you're going Then be- maybe I'll have the same record. It, w- it won't be that battle anymore, that clash <laughs> over the followers. <laughs> um, okay, so this might be our only chance really to really dig into some case, just us together, DG, talking sure. about K-State basketball and K-State football. I do want to start with the basketball team last night, losing to Butler uh, 76-64. Um Boy, saw this coming. First loss for for Jerome Tang, and it's an absolute meltdown time. Okay, maybe it wasn't that bad. It wasn't a great performance. Um, now, I, I will say I do want to start with a, with a positive. I thought Keontae Johnson was phenomenal last night, although his five turnovers, yes, not great. But nine for nine from the floor. He's two for two from three-point range. 20 points in the game, did not miss. And also double-double with 12 rebounds. If you want to say if anybody did come off the bus at Hinko Fieldhouse last night, Keontae Johnson was the only guy that I thought played a great game. Mm -hmm. Played a really great game. Mm -hmm. And even defensively, he wasn't too bad. Even though it was a a poor game defensively. It it really was. Um, And and to me, if if I take away one thing that bothered me the most – from last night, it was, and I, this was mentioned in Minchpom. Butler does not have depth. They were even without more players last night they, than they had been to begin the year. They had two guys come off the bench and play a total of of fifteen minutes. Mm. Just one guy played fourteen of that, and he took one shot. So K State was beat by Butler starting five, who had been four and three so far this year. And yeah, they all averaged double figures, but Manny Bates was really good. good. He was the best five K State had seen all night or seen all season. He was doing whatever he wanted, but K State wasn't getting to the free throw line and drawing fouls. They drew nine fouls the entire night and went to the free throw line three times. With a team that is just completely lacking depth, first of all, Butler played good defense, and K State wasn't drawing the whistles. To me, that hurt a lot more than anything else. You know, he your point, that guy, I think he intimidated some of the, our basketball team last night. He really controlled the paint. Um, he was redirecting every shot that came near him. Nobody, like, really, they didn't set it up, like, get it inside and try to draw a foul on him. It was just like... He was the big brother, and everyone was the little brother, and he was just shoving people around. And it also looked like it looked like a team, five guys that have played a lot of basketball together, and a group of guys wearing K-State jerseys who have played eight games together. Anytime you step into a situation where a team has won 67 out of 69 games at a place, yeah, you have to have it. You got to got your your shoes laced up tight. You got to come to play, or you're going to get it handed to you. And that's what happened. There was, I think they were waiting. Okay, we're going to turn it on any minute now. We're all going to start turning it on. And there was one guy who was there to play, and the rest, yeah. Um, go ahead and learn from this one, though. This is a, a this is they gave them a education on how you go out there, roll the ball out, and beat somebody bad. I mean, really, they they smoked K State Butler. 
Hats off to them. I can't believe. I, I guess I didn't really notice. He played seven guys. One of them don't play one minute. Yeah. Dude, that is, that blows my mind. Blows my mind. But it, it, looking back, it's like, yeah, they didn't need to sub anybody out. They, I mean, they played great defense, didn't get any fouls called on them. They were shooting lights out. Leave them in. Don't pull them out. Well, yeah, and uh, it, it just all around from offense, defense, everywhere, other than, you know, K-State was making a comeback. Desi Sills was playing his ass off. He was getting yeah. steals and going to the other end, and he finished with 17 points off the bench. Keontae Johnson with 20 and 13 and 8 assists for, for Marquise Noel. I mean, it wasn't completely ugly across the board for every player, but I, I just knew like, it wasn't K-State's night. It, no. it, to me, it's not the biggest deal in the world. It's early season. They're still learning, and I don't want to make excuses by any means, but I mean, this team wasn't going to go undefeated. I think I, some would admit that K-State would lose this game. Yeah. I mean, you're in a true road matchup where it's already hard to win games, um, and, and K-State was due to lose one and have a have a lesson learned yes. at some point this year, and that was that game. You know, take it for what it's worth, I suppose, but I knew it wasn't going to be K-State's night when I saw, you know, Naquan Tomlin miss multiple layups. I was just like, man, it's just it's, it's not going to be our night. Leaving shooters wide open for three-pointers – uh, missing three-pointers badly was K-State. It just wasn't their night. No, but I do like the idea that they went, st- they went somewhere that's really tough to play, that's has got a lot of history, got a lot of, you know, juju. And then they played a team, they played a tough, tough basketball team that took it to them. It is a good learning experience for these guys. It has to be. Um, and especially – a strong five, a guy in the, the uh, just a monster. I would love to see this team later on in the season get to have a re up against Butler and see what they've learned against uh, like a full slate of Big Twelve games, and then go back and play them and see how well it goes. Because I think guys like Naquan Tomlin could. You need things like this, and it's like you said. There's no reason to go crazy on this one and go and get wild. They lost, and they were probably going to lose this game. And they're going to lose some other ones this year. They're going to get their – they're going to get their – kicked a, a couple times this year. It's going to happen, you know? It's going to happen. Um, it's not the end of the world, though. They're still a, a solid basketball team. Well, next is Wichita State, 8 Ooh. o'clock on Saturday night. Uh, when uh, you know After, of course, the Cats beat TCU in the Big 12 championship game. And I hope there's still a great crowd for that one. I'm sure a lot of that crowd that had tickets, I've seen a lot, a lot of tickets go on sale all of a sudden. Uh-huh. Um, and unfortunately, there's just not enough time to make it back, I'm sure, for the game and with that seven-hour drive. But uh, Wichita State is in town Saturday night. Game is on ESPNU, uh, so it'll be easy to watch if you're in Texas or if you're going to the game. But um, Wichita State's also 4-3, and three, and they just got – out of a, a Tuesday night loss in overtime to uh, Missouri. So um, even though they're 4-3, and three, that won't be the easiest game either. But hopefully home cooking does prevail. Now, I did want to jump briefly as well to uh, – and again, if we do end up having a show tomorrow, I think we'll jump into both of these topics a little bit more. Um, but we're kind of in um, – we're kind of trying to speed things along. We got a bunch of interviews to get to today. I did want to touch briefly on the all Big 12 football teams. Uh, for instance – Max Duggan, Offensive Player of the Year, there's no shocker, but K-State's Felix Indudike Uzama named Defensive Player of the Year. Absolutely deserved. Completely agree with that. 
Uh, let's see here. Uh, Felix also defensive lineman of the year. Cooper Beebe, the offensive lineman of the year. On the first team All-Big 12, go to the offense. Ben Sinnott at fullback. Hell yeah. Uh, also Cooper Beebe on the offensive line. That's it for the first team offense, first team defense. You'll find Felix, Andy, DK, Uzama, and Julius Brintz. Second team for K-State on the offense, Deuce Vaughn at running back. Malik Knowles at wide receiver. I love that. That's another, you know, another uh, more evidence, I should say, of him having his best year. He's second team wide receiver. And then Phillip Brooks is a kick and punt returner. Second team defense. Uh, there are a couple of cats as well. Kobe Savage, Ty Zittner on second team. And then honorable mention is Echo Boydo, Phillip Brooks, again, for special teams player of the year, DJ Giddens. Uh, Hayden Gillum on the offensive line, Daniel Green, Eli Huggins, KT Leviston, Adrian Martinez, Austin Moore, Kobe Savage, and Deuce Vaughn as offensive player of the year. Uh, first of all, Eli Huggins deserves way more than honorable mention. Mm-hmm. Um, other than that, you know, I, I, I hear you, K State fans, Deuce Vaughn being second team. Honestly, I think that's fair. Yeah. I do honestly think that's fair because if you look at the first team, uh, of course, no shocker to find uh, B. John Robinson and Kendry Miller of TCU. I, I, I honest, those two, I think, do deserve it. Yeah, they do deserve first team, um, All Big Twelve. Now, KU's Jalen Daniels was second team quarterback. This was a big argument on Twitter, and I just want to say, um, I listen. I'm unbiased with this, even though it's going to sound totally biased. But I don't think Jalen Daniels should have been second team All-Big 12 quarterback. That was the one thing that did bother me the most. Um, Because if you're going to put him there who played four and a half in Big 12 play, well, then you got to make an argument for Will Howard. Uh And Will Howard, who played about one more quarter in Big 12 play than Jalen Daniels, well, Will Howard threw for... 1,224 yards, 13 touchdowns, two interceptions with two rushing touchdowns. Jalen Daniels in his four and a half games, 799 yards passing, five touchdowns, an interception, and and two rushing touchdowns. Now, that's just going off the play in Big 12 play. Mm -hmm. Now, Jalen Daniels played extremely well in the non-conference. But if you're taking a whole season body of work... Then my argument goes to Dylan Gabriel of Oklahoma. Right. right. It should be Dylan Gabriel of Oklahoma, who was the offensive newcomer of the year in the Big 12. That's all I got to say. Yeah. That's my argument. That's my two cents. I like it, dude. I, 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 and you said you are unbiased because, you know, I mean, Dylan Gabriel, you went to bat for him. That's unbiased. It shouldn't be Jalen Daniels. Well, and he, you know, Gabriel did have six interceptions. I think like three of those came in the Baylor game. Uh, and I I don't recall what those looked like, if they were totally his fault. But, you yeah. know, I've always felt like these all Big 12 teams should be based on just games in Big 12 play. At least that's been my general uh, understanding of it. Maybe, maybe for some it is, maybe for some it isn't for the coaches that are doing the voting. But um, that'd be interesting to ask what they, what well, really, you know, around the league, what do they think? In one way or another, I think there's a quarterback that has more of an argument than Jalen Daniels. Now, to be fair, Jalen Daniels, I think he does have second-team All-Big 12 talent. Right. And him next year is scary. Yeah. Playing KU next year in Lawrence Ooh, yeah, is scary. Yeah. yeah. 
Oh, boy. But not this year. <laughs> when we come back on the game, the voice of the Chiefs, Mitch Holtis, after this. The Jerome Tang Radio Show will make its debut tonight. If you want to listen to it, check it out on our sister station, 101.5 K-Rock, as it begins at 7 o'clock. Hosted by Wyatt Thompson. Nice. I believe. Unless he's already on the road with the team, uh, but I don't think so. I think he's going to be hosting it tonight. Anyway, 7 o'clock, K-Rock tonight. All right, let's check in with the voice of the Chiefs, Mitch Holtis, as the Chiefs are now 9-2, and two, and they've won five straight. But you know with Mitch, we got to open up with talking about the Cats. Cats in the Big 12 Championship, and they get there with their best record since 7-2. and two. two quarterbacks helped them getting there, but uh, the Horned Frogs stand the chance. I mean, if it was you, like, isn't that the game you want back the most, the loss to TCU? That was five weeks ago, and a comeback win for TCU, and everybody's getting hurt for K-State? No, it could be incarnate word. It doesn't matter. The fact that they're in this game and getting to play it is awesome. And a chance to win a Big 12 championship. So it doesn't matter who they're playing. It could be Georgia. I don't care. Let's just go play and win. You going to give K-State the uh, the nod there for the victory? Oh, yeah. Will Howard is showing me he is a potential NFL quarterback. What he's able to do, the subtle things. I saw in the Oklahoma State game when I was there to watch it. And I've been watching it for it ever since and see it about every week. Saw it in the Baylor game, saw it in the Kansas game. The Wheeler throw actually uh, is an example where the pressure is coming. He's not looking at the pressure. He doesn't tuck the ball and scramble and then pull the ball out and throw it. He keeps the ball in the throwing position, moves laterally away from the pressure, just one step or two. That keeps his footwork in position to throw, and then he's able to throw. So the Wheeler throw is exhibit A. Like it's one metapixel away from a sack strip fumble. There was the sack strip fumble in the second half, but what he's able to do is, is Peyton Manning-ish things, and that is keep moving uh, horizontal to the line of scrimmage and then keep the head and eyes up the field, but keep your footwork intact. It's a very NFL maneuver, and it's very subtle but effective. Well, K-State and the Chiefs right now have the same amount of wins. Kansas City 9-2. and They've won five in a row after wins against the Chargers and the Rams. Both teams, of course, out of L.A. That Rams game was at Arrowhead. Um, but uh, first, kind of a note from the Chargers game, or I guess both games, with Travis Kelsey. So Kelsey with three touchdowns against the Chargers, then he has uh, 57 yards and a touchdown this past Sunday. But now he has set another one of those records, and I feel like listening to your call, you're always giving us an update that this player has this amount of yards, first time ever in 57 games or something like that. And uh, right, right there with Patrick Mahomes, he and uh, Mahomes and Kelsey are, are the ones doing that every single game. I want to ask you, for somebody who called so many games with Tony Gonzalez, is there any awkwardness there with calling Travis Kelsey the best tight end in, in pro football? In history? Well, if I don't feel it, I'll feel it when I get the text from Tony Gonzalez's teammates who are good friends and they're like, dude, what are you doing? Like, I'm like, okay, well, he is. I called every one of T Guns' plays when he was a chief. I saw it. He was great. He's, he's still got a lot of the records, but he's not this guy. He hasn't. So if I always say that uh, T Guns is a planet, let's say he's Mars, but he's not. Saturn and Venus, which is what Kelsey is. Kelsey's blown away everything of any tight end has ever done in the history of the game. Um, we got back, talk about the Charger game, we got back as one of those 5.30 a.m. shots, and you get a nap, and you're up at 8.30, 9 
attack in the, the next week. But I'm driving home listening to overnight national radio guys, which is dangerous, basically, to your health. And they're talking about the best tight ends. This was coming off Kelsey's uh, touchdown against the Chargers. And they're going, hey, it's, hey, dude, it's still, this guy's going, it's still Shannon Sharp to me. He's still the best receiving tight end. I'm like, stop. I almost drove off the road. I mean, it's, you know, 5.30 in the morning. I'm like, why? Why? Where? Where are you seeing that? Because when you look at Kelsey statistically, he's just obliterating everything in his sight. And now his comparison aren't tight ends. They're wide receivers in what he's been able to do so far in his career. And this year with the tight ends, you're the, oh, Mark Andrews or uh, whomever, Darren Waller. He's lapping the field this year with tight ends. It's not even, even, even close. So I, I still, he might be one of the most underrated players, Kelsey, in the history of the league. Because when you look at what he's done, I mean, if this was a wide receiver, they'd be doing documentaries on him. It's, I'm still baffled by it. My big takeaway from the Rams, Rams game was actually Legereus Sneed. Uh, because yeah. he was in concussion protocol, and then he comes back, and he he has himself a, a hell of a second half. Was he one of your players of the game? Yeah. So with Pro Football Focus had him rated like a ninety-two grade. Uh, when he's in the slot, that's the peril teams play or teams have when they play the Chiefs and play a lot of three wide or four wide. When they put the Chiefs in, a, and the Chiefs play some nickel and dime on their own choosing. Most of the time it's a reaction to the offensive scheme. When they go nickel, they're putting Snead in the slot. And i got to tell you, there's got to be some offensive coaches for other teams that we play that are going, I don't know, man, let's try some base here. Uh, let's see what Snead will do in the base. Because when they go and he's in the slot, he is one of the best slot corners I've ever seen as a tackler. Think about bubble screens. Uh, think about how K-State's been hurt by it or when they've defended it. K-State's way better this year because they're faster on defense. And the Chiefs are way better on bubbles because they're faster on defense. And the linebackers are a huge part of it, but so is Snead in the slot. And he can tackle in open field tackle. Uh, you'll play the bubbles. He, when he comes on a blitz, he is absolutely lethal. But I'm glad you brought him up because he's very underrated in what he does, especially when he's the slot corner. Maybe underrated because doesn't have any interceptions, or at least he didn't until Sunday. Yeah. Well, none of this team does, really. I mean, Bolton's got two. This this team has not taken the ball away. I mean, Mitch, they're 9-2 and two with where we had 13 takeaways. If you study the history of the Chiefs under Andy Reid, they would be setting about, I don't know, 18 to 20 takeaways by now. They're just not, and I'm not saying that's negative. It's almost a good sign because I think they're coming. Uh, but Bolton has the two interceptions. That's it for anybody with multiple interceptions. Everybody else just has one. And I think a lot of that is the youth of the secondary. Once you get a little more familiar, uh, then you see, like, for example, Sneed's interception. Uh, I talked to him on Chiefs Rewind after the game on our 65 TPT Facebook Live a show that we do. And he said, yeah, I'd seen it. I'd seen it. I knew what they were going to do. I saw it when I reviewed my video, did my homework, and they ran it once in the first half. And it's interesting to see when Perkins, the Rams quarterback, went to the sideline like McVay can't wait to find him, like don't throw it there. But the fact that Snead knew it was coming and to get that pick basically because of his positioning tells you that as you grow in this game as a veteran, you get more of those. When you're a rookie, you're thinking about your job, like don't blow it and just make the play that I'm supposed to make instead of, 
oh, I see what they're doing here. Guess what? I'll jump this route. I'm next for the Chiefs at the Bengals Sunday at 325. So I guess uh, what's the thoughts on the Bengals right now who are 7-4? and four? They've won five of the last six. I, I guess a comparison we can go with is where they at compared to last year. Right there. They are under the radar. Everybody kind of like wrote them off after the 0-2 start, like Super Bowl hangover, look at them. I'm telling you statistically, Joe Burrow's right behind Mahomes in most of the passing stats. Either he batteries tied with Josh Allen. For example, Mahomes has 29 touchdown passes. Burrow and Josh Allen have 23. And that's without Jamar Chase for four games. T. Higgins is having a great year for them. Tyler Boyd's just steady. Um, Hurst hasn't done what they thought he would do at tight end, but Nixon will be back. Samaje P. Ryan can, has hurt him in the past. Uh, their offensive line's still not very good. I'm still amazed. They spent so much money on the offensive line and it's been sacked 33 times uh, in 11 games. Mitch, it, it, one of your stats of the night is Joe Burrow, since his ACL injury, and near about this time in 2020, uh, that was his first year after being the 1-1 in the draft, and prior to that point, he had been sacked, I believe, 31 times. Then he goes down ACL. Since that time, he has been sacked 103 times. That's basically a year and a half. 51 times last year, another 33 this year, 19 in the playoffs. The Chiefs only got him once in the AFC Championship game. They can get him two or three times. If he gets sacked more than three, he's only won one game. Uh, so uh, there is a chance to get him behind the chains and sack Burrow because he likes to hang on to it. He wants to hit the home run pass. And with Chase coming back, he might be even more lured into that. But you asked me the question, how do they look? They look just like last year's team. They're just behind. There's a great article uh, today on NFL.com, and it was three teams that are better than their record and three teams that are worse than their record. San Francisco was better than their record and, and uh, the uh, Cincinnati Bengals. And I thought, yep, that's what I'm seeing. That's exactly what I think. This is a 9-2 and two Bengals team in 7-4 and four clothing. Mitch, if you don't mind, I do want to try to squeeze in one more question here about. I want to yeah, go for it. Go back to K State because uh, you were you were talking about Joe Burry, and it made me think of oh well, you know Joe Burry played his last game collegiately at the uh, at the Superdome there in New Orleans, and K State is a lock for the Sugar Bowl. Uh, does, yep. does that blow you away after you know, as a historian that you are of the game and longtime fan and used to be the voice of K State that they actually get to play in a Sugar Bowl? I think it's phenomenal. I mean, nobody. Gosh, a little bit older than my age would have even have dreamt that. I mean, there's, there's always like, I wonder if they'll ever play in the Orange Bowl. That's when the old uh, conference champion, that's where you went. Uh, but to play in the Fiesta Bowl is cool. Uh, but to get to play in the Sugar Bowl, which is such a prestigious old-time bowl, uh, is, is amazing. And hopefully something that, I mean, they were on, the whole nation saw them beat KU. That was big time. And they've gotten a lot of more, a lot more national exposure. Well, to play in the Sugar Bowl will give them a ton more, and hopefully that translates into the transfer portal um, positively and also to recruiting. But it's just awesome for them to get the opportunity to play in the Sugar Bowl. Mitch, greatly appreciate your time. Chiefs and Bengals at 325 this Sunday with pregame at 2. We'll talk to you in a couple of weeks. Told you about a month ago, K-State and, and the Chiefs are in a parallel universe. Mm-hmm. Exact record um, and enormous games this week. 
Man, I was I, I lucked out. I thought you remember two weeks ago he said he was going to quiz me. He didn't quiz uh-huh. me. I, I was <laughs> wipe of the brow, <laughs> dodged the bullet. All right, when we come back, quick break. When we come back, we look at the TCU Horn Frogs as we speak again with our good friend John Denton. We are about 48 hours away from kickoff. Actually, let's be exact here, uh, 42 hours away from kickoff. 11 a.m., AT&T Stadium for the Big 12 Championship, number 10 K-State against number 3 TCU. Cats looking for their first Big 12 Championship win since 2003. Let's once again get a preview of the TCU Horned Frogs with cuddle analysts for the Horned Frogs on their radio coverage with John Denton. John, really appreciate your time. So TCU, the first team in Big 12 play to go 9-0 since Oklahoma in 2016 and the first Big 12 team to finish the regular season undefeated. This is surprising since Texas in 2009. These Horned Frogs were picked to finish 7th in the Big 12 to begin the year. Do you recall what your preseason expectations were in year one under Sonny Dykes? Well, I I didn't have them 7th. I mean, I thought that they'd probably be somewhere around the middle of the pack, maybe 5th or so, 4th or 5th. I mean, this uh, program, and it's all new, and Sonny Dykes and his staff have done a good job of getting people in the right places. And, you know, there are a few portal transfers that have impacted it here and there, but for the most part, to about an 80% rate, it's all the same players that were at TCU last year when they went 5-7. and seven. And, you know, the, the culture, it's changed, I think, uh, the way they're going about conditioning and strengthening and, and also putting a focus on getting people healthy and making sure that they're ready to go on game day has made a huge impact. But um, I was hoping that the Frogs could, you know, finish middle of the pack, maybe fifth in the league, go seven and five, get get back to a bowl game, take a step back in the right direction because the Frogs really, you know, had been three or four years since they'd been to a bowl game. And that would have been the, the natural progression because the thing that's scary when you change coaches and, you know, you're about to see it again now, it's, it's you know, coach firing and coach hiring season here for, you know, about the next three to four weeks is, you know, a lot of times – when you start over, it gets worse before it gets better. That's always a concern, and you're seeing that at some schools around the country, and you're seeing it you know, at some schools even in the Big 12, where it just takes a while for kind of the dust to settle and the smoke to clear and for trust to come into play and you know, for the coaches and the players to kind of get to know one another. And that's probably the thing that's most astounding about this program is how fast the trust and, you know, the culture change and, you know, the grasping of the concepts. And I mean, everything has changed drastically. You know, it was a real shock to the system. And I think, you know, the expectations would have been back in the spring when they come back from Christmas break and they, you know, they've got to be up at 5:30 and be out, you know, doing off season work at, at 6 a.m. was okay. We're going to find out how many guys hang around and how many really want to play. And to their credit, you know, most all of them did. Nobody saw 12-0 and 0 coming. Uh, I think uh, a lot of that's had to do with the emergence of a, a lot of players and uh, some players that have, have come along that people weren't expecting to. And also, uh, you know, that probably all starts with uh, the Max Duggan story and, and where he's come from. Well, that's a perfect transition into my next question. That's about Max Duggan, your uh, your quarterback. And to me, this Big 12 championship game, a big storyline is the quarterbacks because both we're not the starters to begin the year. Obviously, Max Duggan takes over very early because Chandler Morris gets injured. Meanwhile, for K-State, Will Howard takes over halfway through is the TCU game where Adrian Martinez gets hurt in the first drive, and it's Will Howard the rest of the way. And both quarterbacks have now led K-State, Will Howard, halfway through the season, but helped lead 
The Wildcats get to the Big 12 championship. The growth of Max Duggan has been incredibly impressive. He's going to be the Big 12 at least quarterback of the year. But how has he been playing since the K-State game? Has he played his best game yet? You know, I don't know that he has. He, you know, he, he's been consistent, and that's all you can you can really ask for. I mean, you know, it's such a great story coming out of fall camp. Chandler Morris is named the starter, and, you know, Max Duggan had a had a choice to make, and there was some concern that, you know what, he was going to bolt and head to the portal immediately. And to Max's credit, he didn't do that. You know, he's a coach's kid. He's, you know what, I'm going to be the best backup I can be. He didn't have to wait long because, you know, it was halftime of the Colorado game on September 2nd. That pretty much figured out Chandler Morris had hurt a knee and wasn't going to be able to go. And Max came in there, and you could almost tell. I'm not going to say it was a lightning strike or, you know, if there was some kind of aura around him, but this is a guy who, you know, at the time it started, you know, what, 25 games or something like that. And, you know, this offense responded immediately. And, you know, the O line was blowing people off the ball in the second half, and Kendra Miller's running hard. And, you know, he gives this offense a spark. And, you know, they always talk about, you know, quarterbacks having it. Well, you know, Max has always had it. He needed to improve his throwing, and he's worked hard to do that. And by virtue of the fact that he's played so well, I mean, gosh, who in the world? Now, you want to talk about a surprise. If you'd have told me this time last year that Max Duggan would be a finalist for the Johnny Unitas Golden Arm Award, I would have laughed you right out of the stadium. I mean, he's he's gotten so much better with his deep throws and with touch. And I think Garrett Riley and the offensive staff, they're to be credited because I think they've made it easy for him. Yeah, another comparison between Max Duggan and Will Howard. If you would have told us before the season that Will Howard would take over and lead K-State to a Big 12 championship game, we would think that'd sound a little crazy as well from the past two years of coming in as a sub and, and having some struggles, but now playing very well. So keeping with the offensive TCU, Quentin Johnston uh, has been quite the star, second-best receiver in the conference statistically. He's approaching 800 yards, but I know he's been banged up a little bit lately with an ankle injury, and I'd heard, I think this was maybe a week ago, that he would be good to go, hopefully, like fully good to go for the Big 12 championship game. Is that the case this week? Yeah, it appears, uh, you know, last week, the hope was that he really re-injured it. I mean, he's been re-injuring it every week since, uh, since West Virginia. I mean, he'd go out, got through the West Virginia game, but it wasn't pretty, and he wasn't at full speed, but you know, anytime you've got a guy like Quentin Johnson out there split wide or even in the slot, I mean, you know, the defense has to has to uh, respect that because, you know, 50% of Quentin Johnston is better than a, a lot of the receivers that you roll out. And uh, they they were really hoping that uh, they'd get off to a hot start last week against Iowa State and then be able to rest him because he hadn't played since the Baylor game. So that would give him, you know, almost two full weeks in the training room leading up to the Big 12 championship game, and he was he was at practice yesterday, running around. He he looks like uh, the Quentin Johnston from you know six eight weeks ago. I mean, uh, doesn't appear to have any ill effects. He's running well, making cuts, and and uh, Sonny Dyke said yesterday at his presser, he looks like his old self. So I fully expect him to be at 100 percent and and ready to go. And that's that's a that's good news for TCU because he is a huge huge part of the offense. Uh, really. You know, it was about four or five weeks into the season before he really started to make an impact because teams were doubling him and pretty much taking him away. But he had a huge, huge game against um, Kansas where he had, I think, 14 catches and over 200 yards. I mean, he just kind of took over that game. And they really 
uh, Kansas really had no answer for. Speaking with John Denton, color analyst for Horned Frog Sports Network and associate AD for TCU Athletics. So jumping to the defensive side of the football, I would just like to hear what you think has improved. And I'm really pointing my finger towards the passing defense in the game prior with K-State and TCU. They were ranked 103rd in the country in pass defense, and K-State did pretty well until the comeback in the second half. Uh, for the Horned Frogs, but has that area of the game improved in the last five games? Yeah, it really has. Uh, probably the best game that uh, this defense played all year was uh, was at Texas three weeks ago, and they Texas to less than 200 yards total offense, and they held Bijan Robinson to 29 yards rushing. I mean, they they really from uh, and I know you, you're talking about the secondary, but the the front, the 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 six guys up front, the three down linemen and the three linebackers. Really, really played well, and uh, that was that was uh, Shadrach Banks, who's a, a big linebacker. Jamoy Hodge, Johnny Hodges, really played well. Shadrach Banks is a, a sophomore; he weighs about 250 pounds. Who is also our backup kickoff returner, if you can imagine. Very highly athletic, and he's really developed uh, in the last half of the season into a really good linebacker. And then you've got D. Winters uh, at another linebacker spot, who's a guy who runs extremely well and you know, could play safety, actually came here as a safety, and they turned him into a linebacker. But secondary has gotten a whole lot better. The corners, uh, Trey Hodges, Tomlinson, you know what you've got there. I mean, all-conference corner. Uh, the guy who's really come along is a transfer from uh, Louisiana Monroe, Josh Newton, who has really played well at the other corner and is, has held his own against some of the best receivers in the Big 12. He and, uh, you know, Newton and Tomlinson really – have uh, given this defense a real shot in the arm because now Joe Gillespie and his crew are, are a lot more confident in playing man coverage out on the corners, and that, that gives this defense a lot of different tricks and a lot of different games that it can play. Mark Perry is a strong safety, transferred from Colorado, and Abe Kamara is a guy that uh, is a JUCO transfer that came in. Big, big hitter. And he, along with uh, Millard Bradford, we used to call him Nook, but uh, Nook, now that he's a senior, has said, no, you'll call me by my given name, which is Millard. So we call him Millard now. And uh, he had a pick six last week against uh, Iowa State. And, you know, all those guys are swarming around and playing with a lot of confidence. And, and uh, that's really helped the defense all the way around because the first half of the season, TCU was giving up big, big plays and lots of big yardage through the air. And, you know, you saw some of that against K-State back earlier in the season. Well, John, to wrap up, there's obviously a lot on the line more for TCU than there is for K-State. K-State knows what happens after the Big 12 championship game, going to New Orleans for the Sugar Bowl. Of course, the Cats want to win the Big 12 championship. Meanwhile, TCU, Big 12 titles on the line, plus college football playoff is there for the taking. How does TCU fans feel? How do you feel about, you know, what if it doesn't happen or if K-State happens to win the chance of getting the college football playoff? Do you still feel confident that TCU has enough there to say to the committee, Look, guys, we have one of the best strength of schedules, 12-0. and 0, We deserve to get in. TCU fans do believe that. I mean, you look at you look at the Big 12 and, you know, first off, just starting, you know, on a larger scale, you look at you look at the Big 12 statistically and how it's rated right now. I mean, it's it's rated as the second best conference in, in college football behind the SEC. And, you know, you look at the, the parity in this league and all of the good teams, you got 80% of the teams that are bowl eligible. And, I, you know, I think that means something, regardless of, the lazy analysis of Paul Feinbaum and some of these others that just want to poo-poo the league. I think, you know, it speaks volumes that Kansas State and TCU have been able to do what they've done this year, you know, through that gauntlet. Because there's a lot of good teams 
Uh, and I think that's going to show up in bowl season. I think the Big 12's, you know, teed up and positioned to have a really, really strong bowl season. Now, does that mean that if, you know, Kansas State, you know, beats TCU on Saturday and they, they're sitting at 12-1, and one, that the committee goes ahead and says, you know what, you're, you're at three and looking at your strength of record, strength of schedule, all the things that they ought to look at, if, you know, that they're going to slot the Frogs in, I don't know. I mean, I think on the flip side, TCU fans are so sensitive still to what happened to them in 2014 uh, in the first CFP playoff poll where at the end of the season they beat Iowa State 55-3 to and dropped from 3-6. to I mean, just, there's no trust there among the uh, TCU fandom where the CFP committee is concerned, even though none of the same people are on the committee anymore. That is uh, a monumental sting that, uh, that has not been forgotten, even though it was eight years ago. And I think for TCU uh, and what's at stake and, you know, a shot at the national title and everything, I mean, this game on Saturday rolls in, uh, you know, as, you know, probably one of the biggest games in uh, program history, if not the biggest. The Rose Bowl was a big, big win because it, that showed that TCU belonged with the big boys, and that probably puts the Frogs ticket into the Big 12 with that showing. But when you're talking about a national championship and the money that's at stake and everything from the standpoint of, you know, just working your way through a playoff and having an opportunity to win a big one. This is, this is huge. And I think everybody at TCU feels like, you know what, let's just take the committee out of play. You got to go win it. And I think that's, that's the attitude that uh, definitely permeates through uh, the fandom here at TCU. And, and I know, uh, you know, Sonny Dykes and the team haven't said much about it, but, they're they're looking at this as another game that they've got to go win, and uh, you know they'll worry about the weight of it and the impact of it after it's over. But uh, this is this is a huge, huge one, and I think TCU's got to win it. Boy, this I'm really excited for this game. Two great teams going to battle it out for the uh, conference championship and uh, undefeated TCU. What a season it's been for them. It's certainly not done yet. But John, really appreciate your time, and uh, we'll see you at the game on Saturday. You bet. Looking forward to it. We'll see you uh, on Saturday morning, and uh, yeah, yeah, it's. Everybody, I think, uh, has their ears up for this one. This is going to be a, a great, great battle. I mean, I don't know how you discount this game, a number three versus a number ten. I mean, that's that's epic and uh, one of the best matchups in the history of the Big 12 championship. And that's TCU color analyst John Denton in his preview of the TCU Horn Frogs. Kickoff Saturday at 11 a.m. Power keg game day, 7 in the morning from Dallas, Texas. By the way, if you want to check out ESPN's college game day, they're going to be in like that northeast corner of the parking lot. Hour two of the game after the break. The champs are in the building. We're going to talk with Manhattan High football coach Joe Schartz and a couple of players, Tate Hoover and Kalani Patterson, here as well after the break. Your news is next.